understand, is going to share with you the promise that he has in Jesus. Hopefully this microphone's on. So, looks like it's going. So, you know, it's not too late for me to do that short testimony that I talked about before. It's all right. So, I remember that when I was growing up, I once asked my father, what's the point of a funeral? You see that at that time, my understanding was that a funeral is intended to celebrate the life of an individual. This might sound pretty terrible, but I wondered, why would you want to have a celebration for someone who died? The person who died has moved on. Wouldn't it be better to have a celebration when they were living? My father's response was that a funeral can be used to honor the person who died. However, it isn't solely to celebrate their life or to reflect on their accomplishments. A funeral actually serves a greater benefit to the friends and family of the deceased. It provides them with a chance to express their grief. If a believer is passed, it's also a time to reflect on what God has accomplished in that person's life. For a pastor, it's an opportunity to discuss the plan of salvation with the friends and family of those who are living. It occurred to me that in some strange way, I can actually relate some of my father's sentiments about a testimony, uh, some of my father's sentiments to a testimony. Until recently, I thought that a testimony was a chance to celebrate a believer's personal story of conversion. While they are a cause for celebration, I also believe that's not their sole purpose. Testimonies don't end with a single event, and they're an opportunity for a believer to share how God has worked and is continuing to work in their life. In my case, preparing for this testimony was also a time for personal reflection. I'd like to actually take a step back a minute because I realize that many of the people here don't know me. You already know that my mind makes some pretty strange connections. And if you haven't met me, my name is is Zane Horning. I'm one of the quiet guys who's actually been sitting in the back of the church there for some time, and sometimes I help with stacking chairs and some other things like that. You might even remember seeing me here at Baptism Sunday. At that time, I gave a short testimony that went something like, I love Jesus with all my heart, and I want to follow him into water baptism. Well, I think that statement says it all. Ever since that time, I've thought that I could probably elaborate a bit more and share a little bit more about what God has done in my life. Before I get too far ahead, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm originally from a small town near Corning, New York, and when I was growing up, I was the youngest in my family. I used to tell people that I was horning from Corning. (laughs) Sounds a little corny, I know, but... I don't know if that helps really remembering my hometown. Horning from Delmar doesn't really work anymore. So, <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, like I said, I don't live there. So, I actually grew up in a strong Christian family, and for about 25 years, my father was an active pastor. So I'm what some people refer to as a PK, or a preacher's kid. I like to think that I was the easy kid when I was growing up. But my brother and sister, they probably disagree with that statement. They'd tell you that I was just, they just broke the mold for me and paved the way for me to get away with anything later on. A lot of the experiences I had when I was younger are probably similar to other kids who grew up in a similar situation. I attended church every Sunday. I sat in the front with my mother, brother, and sister. We made up for, my, made up for the gap between my father and the rest of the congregation. I participated in many activities the church hosted, such as Vacation Bible School in Awanis. I even attended an afternoon Bible study during elementary school. I also attended county fairs and other public events that the church used as an opportunity to witness to others. As I got older, my knowledge and awareness of God grew. When I was about eight years old, I remember lying awake in a bunk bed while my older brother tried to sleep below me. 
Earlier in the week, a Sunday school teacher had told us how Jesus Christ had died on the cross for the sins of the world. I remember sitting awake and thinking about how amazing that was and wondering why he would do such a thing, especially for me. Eventually, my thoughts got the better of me, and I woke my brother up, and I asked him about it. That night, we discussed what it meant to be a Christian in the plan of salvation. We prayed together, and I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. So knowing a little bit about my background and knowing a little bit about my testimony, you might even think that after that time, I continued on with a life of Christian bliss. I wish I could actually make that claim. Until recently, the testimony I just shared with you is actually as much as I would usually share with anyone who ever asked me about this. While I do think at that time my heart and my mind was open to the Holy Spirit and that it would impact the rest of my life, that's actually not the end of the story. Throughout high school, my focus on God was strong. At that time in my life, I was passionate about God. I continued to be active in the church. I attended Christian camps each summer. I felt compelled to perform daily devotions, and I also prayed frequently. When I was 11 years old, I actually led one of my best friends to the Lord. It was one of the first times I had successfully witnessed to someone else. At school, many of my classes were taught by secular teachers. They taught evolution, disavowed any knowledge of God, and felt that school was a great time to begin teaching students on the merits of Planned Parenthood and the acceptability of homosexuality. I occasionally got in debates on these topics with some of my teachers. Most of these discussions would be, end with me being told to get lost. I remember during my senior year, I took a job aptitude test. That test told me that I should become a plumber. <laughs> I highly respect all plumbers, don't get me wrong. However, I was a fat little dork, and I liked to write computer programs. So if you're my age, you might remember the nerdly kids who hung out in the computer lab around lunchtime. They'd sit there and go, wow, three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk with 1.4 mega storage. Awesome. That was me. So my age is showing a little. I apologize there, too. So when I graduated from high school, my walk with God was still strong, and it seemed like a technical major would be a good fit for me, so I applied to several secular colleges. My father used to tell me that there are schools that teach you how to live and schools that teach you how to make a living. Don't know where he got that from. As a result, I decided to apply to a school that was originally founded as a Baptist college in southern Virginia called Liberty University. I'll admit my motivation for applying at Liberty wasn't entirely, entirely noble, and it was partially motivated by my parents. Nevertheless, they accepted me. As someone from a remote area of western New York who grew up under a single Christian influence, Liberty and Southern Virginia were eye-opening experiences for me. I learned with some disdain from the local residents what a Yankee was. Even more troubling was I learned that a Yankee from New York was the worst kind of Yankee. <laughs> At school, many denominations were represented by the students and faculty. In contrast to high school, where I attended, and the faculty were reluctant to discuss religion, most people there were actually pretty excited to talk about their faith. Chapel was held three times a week, plus church service at Thomas Road on Sunday. I worked on Christian service projects every week. You couldn't help but feel connected to God, and at that time I felt like my faith and my spiritual growth was re my, my faith and my spiritual life was growing. I even recall thinking at one point that I might be called to the ministry. So you might be amused to know that this is actually the time in my life when I began my rebellious phase, too. I did some unspeakable acts. So, for example, I violated the 11th commandment, which the university held dear. It states, thou shalt not grow facial hair. <laughs> Can I say I was bad? The school also had a policy that a tie, dress pants, and dress shirt required for all classroom buildings. I remember that I had a roommate that I couldn't get along with. I found out that before his mother had left at the start of the semester, she had tied all of his ties and left them hanging in the closet because he didn't know how to tie one. One time when I was feeling really malicious, I untied all of his ties. 
He received eight reprimands for showing up to classes that week without a tie. I was, I was pretty evil. So, after living in the dorm and away from my parents for only one semester, I started to feel pretty homesick. Around that same time, I received a note from the school that stated that due to a technical error, I was no longer en- enrolled in the courses I had scheduled for the next term. At that point, I decided to cancel my enrollment for the next semester. I didn't have much time to apply to new schools, so I returned home to New York and enrolled as a computer science major at a local community college. In retrospect, I think that this is when my attitude began to change. I became focused on school, study, and various part-time jobs that I held on the side. It might not have seemed like it at the time, but I was switching gears from learning how to live to how to make a living. My father's old saying. God was still in my life, however, my level of involvement in the church and my growth as a Christian began to decline. I remember thinking that I would have time to re-engage after college. Two years at that community college passed, and my attitude and church attendance didn't improve. I graduated and transferred to another college in western New York, and I began studying for an engineering degree. During the day, I would attend classes, and on nights and weekends, I would pretty much become absorbed in studying and part-time jobs that I held on the side. After finishing a bachelor's degree, I got pretty good at math and electronics. Eventually, I decided to continue on for a master's degree. Six years actually went by. I finally graduated, got a job, and moved out. Every parent's dream. (laughs) I wanted to stay close to family, so I took a job in Schenectady, New York. And I wasn't actually a total spiritual lost cause at that point in time, and I remember making several attempts to re-engage with the church. I'd frequently visit family, and I tried attending some churches near Corning. I also tried attending a few churches around the Capital District, but none of them really took with me. So I felt like I should still be doing something for God. However, I never really was spiritually challenged during that time. After three years, I was finally offered a job at an avionics defense contractor in Johnson City, New York. I decided to head back west, and I worked there for over six years. During that time, I flip-flopped between various positions as a circuit designer and a technical lead, which is a job that focuses more on managing technical direction, schedule, and money of projects, more than actually performing any real work, as the other engineers called it. So... This seems like an appropriate time to relate a short story that I recall from one of the small group meetings with Frank and Susan. Frank told the story of a guy on a bicycle he met while holding signs in Delmar. As the man approached, he made the comment, Boy, I love you guys. When Frank asked him why he loved them, the man replied, Only crazy people believe in God. Frank's response was, Well, what do you believe in then? He replied that he was an atheist. That's interesting. So you essentially believe that the universe originated from a big bang which led to planets, life, slime, and you? So knowing your illustrious origins, what is your purpose in life? The young man was floored, and he replied, well, I guess I I really don't have one. Wow, Frank replied. So basically you have no purpose and no point. What good are you then? So you might ask how this story relates to my own testimony. I hadn't become an atheist, and I even had a fairly good comprehension of the Bible. I didn't feel that my motives were really bad either, as the majority of my time was spent with family. The connection between this story and my own is that at that point I had lost my focus on God. What I realized since that time is that once you lose your focus, you eventually lose your desire to seek and serve God. If you're not seeking and serving God, then what's your purpose? You don't have a point. The spiritual condition of someone who lost their focus on God isn't much different than an unbeliever, except the tragedy is they actually know better. My life continued on that way. What I've realized since that time is that when God was nearly absent from my life, I started to rely a lot more on my own understanding. I got more and more wrapped up in my job. I dwelled on things like getting older, buying a house, settling down, all the typical things that people worry about. 
And it wasn't until about a year and a half ago I was contacted by a company that offered me a position back in Schenectady. For several years I had worked seemingly endless hours with no reprieve, and I was getting angry and feeling burned out, so I decided to leave Johnson City and I accepted the company's offer. A big God sighting for me was that I originally planned to move back to Clifton Park. I briefly lived there when I took my first job after graduating from college, and I even put down a down payment on an apartment there. About a week and a half before I was going to move, I read some pretty poor reviews about my soon-to-be landlord, and I canceled my hold on that apartment. I had some fond memories of driving south and hiking around John Thatcher Park, so at the last minute I found an apartment in Del Mar and moved in. I later found out that I'd moved in next door to the pastor of a local church. I don't know how someone with my story ends up in a situation like that, other than by the grace of God. Something I've really come to appreciate is that even when you blatantly ignore God, he calls you back. Several months after moving to Del Mar, I was walking out of my apartment to go to work. I'd only been awake for a short time, and amidst my typical morning grogginess, I was greeted by my neighbor. My neighbor introduced herself as Susan Ray. She seemed extremely chipper for 6.30 a.m., Hi, how are you? Uh. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) After initial introductions, the conversation turned to religion, and Susan told me that her husband was the pastor of a local non-denominational church. She invited me to the church in a small group meeting that was held at their apartment. I'll admit that I was initially hesitant to come to BCC. Although I'm not hung up on denominations, I'd predominantly attended Baptist churches all my life. My first worry was that the pastor might be a universalist or could be a Jehovah's Witness in disguise. I didn't really know. What does non-denominational mean? So they must align themselves with something. So when I left Susan that morning, I didn't get any overtly strange vibes, though, and I felt assured that the pastor went to a familiar school, so I decided to try attending a Sunday service. Eventually, I even joined one of the small groups meetings that Frank and Susan joined at their apartment. I didn't actually even know it at the time, but small group is actually a code word for for an aggressive, radical Christian rehabilitation program. (laughs) They take you in, subject you to an intensive program that involves Jesus, conviction, and the Bible. I tried to think of an appropriate metaphor as I was writing this testimony, and the only thing I could come up with is that if you're an avid reader, it's something like what Jason Bourne experienced in Robert Ludlum's Bourne Identity books when he was converted to a spy. They don't use any water torture or psychological tricks, but I do think they try to bend your will with cookies. So, if you don't get that metaphor, maybe it's like Star Wars. You won't be a worthless Christian anymore. I don't know. I tried, sorry. A short time after I started attending the small group meetings, I began reading my Bible again. Many of the passages that were discussed during the meetings were familiar. However, the interpretation of those passages was different. I found myself rereading them on several occasions and frequently asking questions like, is that how I would interpret that passage? Or, wow, that's pretty deep. Or even things, think things like, is Frank nuts? <laughs> After some time and study and a few conversations with my own father, I concluded that he was sane. Mostly. <laughs> As time progressed, I slowly became sensitive to a number of attitudes and mindsets that I had developed over the years. Initially, some of the things I felt convicted about were small. For example, simple questions were asked during meetings such as, has anyone seen God this week? When I first began attending small groups, this question sounded kind of trite and flowery to me. After a few weeks, I began to appreciate some of the stories that others in the group were able to share. After a few more weeks, this question became a question of conviction. I realized that I had nothing to share. I wasn't thinking about God, looking for him, or doing anything for him. A few more months went by. 
I started feeling spiritually bipolar. As someone who tends to suppress emotion, I had a hard time reconciling what I was feeling. One week, usually after a particularly convicting sermon, I would feel awful. The next week, I would default back to the mindset that everything in my spiritual life was fine and I was doing great. During the times I felt convicted, my thoughts would tend to dwell on things such as, am I doing anything for God? What have I been doing for the past seven years? What do I really believe? At one point, I even started questioning if I felt like I was saved anymore. I hadn't thought much about my salvation during my hiatus from the church, and up until that point, if the question ever did cross my mind, I would reason that salvation is not a gift that is given and taken back. I was saved when I was young, so my salvation checkbox has been crossed off, and I'm good to go for the foreseeable future. A few more weeks went by. I remember someone else who gave a testimony stated that they started listening to a lot of Christian music when they started feeling really convicted. I actually found myself doing the same thing. And I'd expect that if you were to research Apple iTunes stock back in 2015, you'd see that there was a peak in sales back in October. I was also praying frequently, usually when I woke up in the morning and a few times throughout the day. Sometimes I would pray when I was driving home from work. I've heard others say they pray in their cars. It does kind of make me wonder if any other convicted people have caused a car accident. It would explain some of the delays on the Northway. One Sunday afternoon after a particularly convicting sermon testimony in a pre-membership class that dealt with repentance, I felt especially conflicted. The sermon covered many of the thoughts that had been rolling around in my head for several weeks. Some of the events that were described in the testimony strangely echoed my own experiences. I remember going home that afternoon and feeling just despondent about my own spiritual condition. I also felt ashamed, ashamed of my blatant disregard for God for the past several years. I also didn't know how to reconcile the doubts that I'd been having about my faith. When I arrived home that evening, I flipped on a radio and I began to read. By an odd coincidence, or maybe even divine intervention, I came across a devotional that was written on the subject of repentance. The definition of repentance is a decision or change of mind to turn away from sin. Repentance is part of the plan of salvation, and it includes confessing that you're a sinner, asking God for forgiveness, and choosing to follow Jesus Christ. The article I read reiterated that definition, and it also added that repentance comes from God. Up until that point, I had always recognized that repentance was something that was performed with God. However, I never thought about it as something from God. I dwelled on that thought for a while. Every believer knows that when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is to say that part of the Holy Spirit dwells within you and you become a new creation that's born again. One way that the work of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated in a believer's life is that their attitudes, motives, and actions begin to change. Whatever your perspective was before, the Holy Spirit begins to heal your heart, purge you of sin, and to sanctify you. That was where the bit of information where repentance being from God helped. What I eventually realized is that to truly repent of something, that repentance comes from God because you need to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. God seals a believer with the Holy Spirit when they ask for his grace. I was sealed with the Holy Spirit when I first believed. That's why the notion of repentance being from God was significant. I felt reassured that even though my own spiritual condition was terrible, the reason I felt terrible was due to the work of the Holy Spirit. How can someone who is not saved feel convicted if they were not given the gift of the Holy Spirit? That thought was reassuring to me. Later that afternoon, I did what most people under a lot of duress do. I prayed. I asked for God's forgiveness for my attitude and also the total disregard for God that I've held for several years. I promised to do better, and I wanted to do better. Over the next several days, I experienced a few lingering doubts, but 
I gradually began to feel better. So you might ask, what conclusion did I reach regarding my own salvation? What I realized is someone like me, someone who grew up in a church and who has a strong Christian upbringing, can become complacent in their faith. I've heard that phrase passed around a lot over the years, and I don't think that I've ever really appreciated what it meant or what it implied. I used to think that it meant that you stopped going to church or maybe that you lost your focus on God. I've also heard some people say that it means you stop seeking God or that maybe you start, stop listening to that voice of reason inside your head. Those are symptoms of complacent faith. However, I think the actual cause is that you start following and returning to your old nature. Romans 8.5 states that those who live according to their sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature deserves. But those who live in the spirit have their minds set on what that spirit deserves. My mind had become focused on my job, future, and in general, getting on with life. While these things in themselves may not have been sinful, they pulled my attention from where it really should have been. If your attention is pulled away long enough, you stop worrying about church, God, and any real spiritual growth in your life. Your distance from God increases, and you start to return to your old habits and nature. It wasn't long after I started feeling like I was getting right with God again that BCC offered a class for anyone that was interested in baptism. Knowing a little bit about my past history, you might find it strange to know that up until that point in my life, I had never actually been baptized. I remember asking my father about it when I was younger, and he told me that I should wait until I was a little older and wiser. I got older, but it seems like I never got much wiser. Even though I accepted Christ as my personal Savior many years ago, I suddenly felt compelled to take the next step into baptism. I had been making significant strides in reconnecting with God, but up until that point, I had been really timid about my faith. I seldom spoke out for God. Someone I recently chatted with, I won't name Frank, wisely stated that you need to step out to grow. I think it was one of the first times in a really long time that I felt spiritually motivated to do something and I didn't ignore it. It might have seemed like a small step, but for someone like me who hadn't stepped out for a God in a really long time, I think it really helped give me a spiritual kick in the butt. As time progressed, I felt like my faith and walk with God was improving, but I was still disconcerted by the fact that even though I had resumed praying regularly, reading my Bible, and I had experienced more spiritual growth than I had in a really long time, I wasn't really doing anything for God. I became very conscientious of the fact that I seldom witnessed, and I only spoke, out, spoke of God within the confines of my friends and family. A love of friends and family is a godly trait. However, with the exception of my family, what evidence was there that I was actually doing anything? Ephesians 5 says that, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. What Paul is conveying in this passage is that you and your sinful nature were once separated from God. But now by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and your acceptance of salvation, you are his children, a new creation that has been joined with the Holy Spirit. Since you are a new creation that was created from the Holy Spirit and a member of God's family, you are blessed with the characteristics of your father. So, as Paul chides in this passage, act like a member of the household of God. I wasn't doing that. Thinking about this verse made me think a lot about my own motives. I learned when I was young that you witness to serve and glorify God. Something about that passage tuned me into the fact that there is a part of every Christian, the new creation part that desires to be obedient to God. There is also a part of you that is dead and tied to your old nature. For a really long time, I think that I've been listening to that old part of my nature. It occurred to me that even though I felt convicted about my hesitancy to witness and speak out, that desire to do something for God must be an indication that I was finally doing something right. So you might ask the question, where am I at with my own spiritual walk? When I was first asked to write this testimony, I actually felt that the timing was premature. 
If I were to summarize, I'd say that there was a time when I was younger that I felt well-connected to God. Then, not long ago, I became almost totally disconnected from God and the church. I was a dead ringer for the guy in some of those movies you've seen playing recently. You know, somebody who started off strong, went off to college, and then eventually got their priorities screwed up. I didn't even know it, or maybe I did know it, but I wasn't thinking about it. The book of Luke commands that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. My mind has always been for God, even during my absence for the church. Something I've recently come to appreciate, though, is that at some point during the past several years, my heart went numb. I felt nothing for my beliefs other than maybe some fear that someday when I stood before God, I would have very little to account for. When I was finally brought back into a circle of believers and started to feel something for my faith again, the flimsy excuses that I had been fostering over the past several years imploded inside my head. It was actually emotionally difficult for me to reconnect. When I finally did, it was like a revelation. Over the past several months, I've come a long way in reconnecting with God. I believe that I've grown a lot more as a Christian in the past several months than I have in many years. I now appreciate what my motives and attitudes were and what they really should be. For a really long time, either due to a loss of focus, flawed understanding, or some other excuse, I haven't been seeking God like I should. Now it seems like each week I learn something new from Scripture or I discover an attitude that I didn't realize that I had developed. Even as I wrote this testimony, I learned a lot. I went through about four revisions probably bored poor Frank to tears. Not because I was a perfectionist, but because my mindset slowly shifted back towards God. I realized that some of the attitudes I had when I first started writing this were flawed. My head and heart have been gradually changing back to where they should be. As they change, my testimony changes. I've also been really thankful lately. Thankful that God has brought a group of people into my life who I feel that I can learn from, who encourage me, and I can look up to as an example. I pray that someday I can provide a similar example. I'm also thankful that I've been blessed with many gifts in life. A Christian family, a group of like-minded believers, and yes, I I even recognize that I personally have been well-equipped by God to serve him. I'm currently looking for ways that I can use those gifts to serve him more. So where am I at? I'd like to think that my testimony is still ongoing, however, I'm going to close by reading an excerpt from Psalm 73, which has been especially meaningful to me lately. I think it sums up where my heart and thoughts have been, where they are now, and where I believe that they're going better than anything I could ever write. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell all of your deeds.